0: What's everybody? Welcome to episode 29 of the Hella Bass Bass Fishing Podcast. Today, just flying solo, live stream, little Q&A, doing some in-depth recaps on my whitefish and vermilion tournaments, uh, getting into some Q&A, a bunch of stuff about fishing, sonar, baits, electronics, lines, rods, reels, lots of good nuggets in this one. Hope you enjoy it. As always, here to help you catch more bass and suck less. All right, let's get this thing going solo live hello live on a wednesday night it's been a while it's been probably darn near a month since i've done a live stream so uh i've been fishing a lot of tournaments and uh hanging with the family when i haven't been fishing uh and uh too busy fishing and not a good enough connection on the wednesday nights when i have been out of town so no live streams for several weeks but here we are back better go solo uh and kind of give some recaps and kind of gives you an update on what I've been up to, answer a bunch of questions, see what people want to talk about uh, in general, just have some fun and talk fishing tonight because I could use a break from the grind of uh, tournament fishing every week. We got a couple of viewers rolling in. Who's all there? Let me know in the comments. But uh, yeah, it's been it's been a whirlwind. There's been some ups. There's been some downs. There's been some good tournaments, there's been some okay tournaments, uh, but there's been a lot of fishing, a lot of hours in the basket, which you can't complain about that. Um, caught a lot of fish, both green, both brown, on several different lakes. Got to hang out with a bunch of good buddies, got to meet and hang out with a bunch of new guys that are now buddies uh, at the visionals. so uh, a lot of camaraderie. Yeah, really, that's what that to me, that's what fishing's all about, besides the catching and the competition, um, you know, hanging out, meet new people that share that common bond is really what it's all about. Connor Honeycutt, what are some fall tactics other than docks and jerk baits? Well, I mean, to me, it's for the fall, I love to throw a jig. You know, I love to throw a jig all year long, but in the fall, even more so. Um, so docks are good. Laydowns are good. You can uh, definitely up in Minnesota and the upper Midwest, targeting the remaining green grass. So you're gonna see the grass start to fall. And that deepest greenest grass that you can find is another strong pattern uh, to target. And that's a really good one. You can fish that with plastics, uh shaky heads, jigworms, you know, small finesse jigs, jigs. That's that's a really good. Um <clears throat> other than that uh there's a the decent crankbait, lipless crankbait bite, you know, grass-related as well. So that's that's a strong pattern as well in the fall connor So there's there's a lot of good options, and I would say in the fall, Um, keep like fish slow but fast. Don't get hung up. If you're not getting bit, if you're around them, they usually bite in the fall. So I guess that's my biggest tip for up here in Minnesota. So thanks for the good question to get us kicked off. We already got double-digit viewers. Uh, Say hi in the comments. Let me know who's all here, guys. Uh, We'll talk about some of the tournaments and things like that that I've been busy doing. Uh, I want to let a few more people get in here. So. Uh sorry there was a big break there. We had like ten or eleven days without a video or a stream, but I was just all in at Vermilion and focused on getting as much practice as I could and uh spending long, long days. I would get up at four, four thirty in the morning and I wouldn't get back to the uh, house until like seven o'clock and then we'd have a team meeting from like seven thirty to nine thirty and then be working on tackle and have a couple of drinks with the boys, and it'd be 11 o'clock. And it's like, well, I better get five hours of sleep. There wasn't much time for editing video. So that's, was the big delay on the day two whitefish video. Um, but so I hurried up when I got home, scrambled, knocked that out, and I've already pretty much got the practice video for really I mean, almost done. So that should be up probably Friday. Uh, so we should be back to our two videos and a stream this week. So back to our consistent content. So we should be able to nail that for the next couple of weeks. Into probably a Tonka tournament in September, and then late September a Leech tournament. So we got a couple of big tournaments uh, coming up, and we got a big derby to get ready for in uh, November on Pickwick in Alabama. So we'll talk more about that too. So we are we're fishing the Natty. Like so, I finished first overall as the boater out of Minnesota on Vermilion and Northern Division. So uh, I'm excited to get back to the national championship for the Bass Nation. I fished it once. And I believe 2013 on the Watchtower River, I qualified out of a Monroe Lake in Indiana and made it. And uh, that was an adventure in itself. And I wish I could do that one over again. I felt like I was really close to being. I didn't really have a great finish, but I was just like I was around it. Didn't quite make the right decisions. You know, I found a lot of the right stuff for practice and together. So I'm anxious to get back there and have another shot because three out of the 50 some anglers that are fishing this tournament are going to the classic. And I'd sure like to make, give it my best effort to be one of those anglers for sure. So what's up, man? Uh, thanks for the kind words. Yeah, it was a great finish. It would have been really awesome to finish the deal and win that tournament, but congratulations to Pat Schlapper for winning the tournament out of Wisconsin. Um, you know, moving on is the most important thing, but it would have been nice to have that kind of feather in my, in my visor and the extra cash that came with the win. But either way, uh, if I make the classic, I no, won't ever care whether I won that tournament or not. So, so yeah, I've been super busy. Uh, there's been quite a few tournament videos going all the way back to Leech Lake uh, in, in, in late July. Uh, you watched some of those videos. I don't know that I talked in, in, in great recap or detail on that, but, you know, that was a, basically the state tournament for the TDF, which is the FLW version of the Bass Nation and uh, finished third up there, which qualified me for the semis, which is their regional, uh, which is back on Lake in the end of September. So I still have that tournament coming up in about three, four weeks, where I can possibly qualify for the TVF National Championship down in, I think it's in Grand in Oklahoma in, in March. So that's still on the table. Um, that was a good tournament. That was a fun tournament. A lot of good frogging and flipping action on that. There were some good videos. And I thought I got a couple of really sweet frog catches on those videos if you haven't seen those, they're definitely worth watching. Um, Any The screen really pricks at it. So it looks really good on my end. So I don't know what's going on. Maybe my kids are streaming a bunch of content. So um, <laughs> nice to know. How is the audio? Let me know. Um, I'll send one of my kids a quick text. see if we can get some bandwidth back so we'll see how that goes maybe that will help Um, well that's bummer sycamore that's no good hopefully you're getting healthy Um, so yeah I'm glad I'm here to help you recover Uh, audio is good that's good to know Um, so hopefully the, the the stream catches up it looks really good on my end so hopefully uh, the connection uh, comes around here and, and gets better. So maybe I scared one of my kids off one of the streaming devices and, and got a little bandwidth. But as I was saying, Leech Lake still on the table to make for the, the TBF Nationals. So I'm still excited to have multiple paths to move on to, uh, you know, possibly fish two national championships yet this fall. So that's the goal. Uh, so that'll be another big tournament coming up in September on Leech. Um. And then, you know, after that, I had about a week off, and then we rolled into the Bass Nation Minnesota TOC, uh, 102 boats fishing on a whitefish chain up north of Brainerd by Cross Lake. Um, I really expected the fishing to be a little more wide open than it was. It was kind of stingy. Um, and from there, the top 10 move on to a northern division to be determined next summer. Uh, and uh, I, I started out in like, 20th after day one. Add a much you know added about a pound of weight on the second day and I moved up to 11 so I missed the top 10 cut by 0.16 on whitefish change so those are the videos that just went up you know day one went up right before I left for a million and day two went up on Monday uh, I, I don't think I missed a ton of opportunities I did miss a few fish but I didn't need a lot so it's really tough to say whether I ever had those bites to move on but it really would have been you know so close 0.16 over 10 fish is just a small amount to miss the cut so I am the alternate if for some reason uh, somebody elects not to move on or has other obligations or something, I'll be the first one to uh, step up, and I, I promise you I will go. Um, so hopefully there's an outside chance I can still make that Northern Division next year because that would have been – so basically I was less than two ounces from making it three years in a row, uh, which is kind of what I strive for is to be consistent and keep the, the, the path moving on in these tournaments. Um, and then the, the big lag in the, uh, the videos was really due to Vermilion. So last year uh, we fished Island Lake where I finished second and just missed winning that. That qualified me for this year's Northern Division on uh, uh, Vermilion, which is up north of Duluth, up by Tower, Minnesota. And uh, I had about, I don't know, 12, 15 days of experience on that lake between like an old weekend series tournament and a couple state tournaments and a, and a Northern Divisional that was there like eight years ago and uh i didn't pre-practice at all this year i just kind of went up and and, kind of spent the saturday sunday monday tuesday that most people did i know Pat Schlapper, the guy that won it spent nine days leading up to the tournament and then obviously it worked out for him he found a lot of deep stuff that worked out really well for him but so i I went up friday night got in the water for a few hours just kind of checked a few things on the east side of the lake and uh none of it was very good to be honest. I caught a couple nice ones on docks that I never actually went back to in the tournament, which I kind of regret potentially never checking those docks again. Uh, they were kind of on a different part of the lake but I ended up really fishing. And, uh, but I checked a few spots, caught a few small fish, um, kind of re familiarize itself with the lake a little bit. And then Saturday morning I went out and checked a few more spots. I found a new spot that seemed to have a small school of fish on it. Felt pretty good about that. I went up and checked a large mouth spot that had always been really good to me. And uh, caught like a nice three-plus pounder right away, and uh, pulled out another fish. And I was like, "Oh, well, that'll be my backup plan." And if, if you don't know about Vermilion, it's like really long east to west with tons of islands and and cuts and arms. And <clears throat> I mean, you can you can fish for days and never see all that water. And uh, we typically take out almost all the tournaments. Take out the east side, somewhere near like Bayview or the Casino or Everett's, It's just kind of eastern central of the lake. And there's a ton of good smallies over there. So, you know, 90 plus percent of anglers never leave that eastern basin. And, and most of the tournaments are one out of the eastern basin, to be honest. Um, as you go further west, the fish are, you know, maybe a little further and farther between, and you start to run into more largemouth. And there's definitely opportunity to get into areas that are shallow where you can catch big largies and big smallies almost right next to each other. And that's what I really wanted to find. Uh, so I spent the next three and a half days searching. For that golden ticket and really putting my time in and covering water and going in every little bay and every little stretch and checking wood and checking docks and checking little grass lines and, and kind of you know stuff that was less than five feet deep. And I caught a fair amount of fish, but so many just two pounders. I could not find that consistent three to four pound bite that I was looking for thinking that if I could get over there. For just a day and catch a freak show bag and catch like 19 pounds or, or something like that or if i could just start in the morning and catch a couple decent quality small mall find some offshore stuff and then spend the remaining six to seven hours fishing for three big bites uh that i thought that was really the plan that fit my style of fishing and my strengths to win this tournament so i practiced that way for almost the entire week until about lunchtime except for the first few hours on friday night and saturday morning and then the last few hours on tuesday I kind of retreated back to parts of Fraser Bay and, and, and Oak Narrows and kind of worked my way east. And I actually found a really good stretch, or I refound something that I had found a long time ago. And it was a good stretch of docks and reeds back in this little kind of bay. And uh, I I pulled on and saw several good smallies, and I felt really good about that. And I knew that I could make that part of my game plan. And it would be kind of in a, a middle section of the lake where there'd be some pressure, but not a ton of pressure. And it kind of wasn't too far from the other stuff that I was familiar with that I could kind of run and make that part of the game. Um, so that was how I wanted to the tournament. We go into our team meeting and we're sitting around and I get the text and I'm boat number two out of 90. And I was like, wow, what a time to get a boat draw. I don't really have a starting spot. Like I just like I don't have I didn't have like a uh, a juicy juice honey hole. What's up? Matt uh and uh I was like man I wish I wish this is the one time I really wish I had like a spot like a spot on the spot where I thought I could really whale them because like I could get there so I went and like there was these docks right in the bay that are like community docks and uh, they can be when they're good they're really good like you could pull up and catch 19 pounds and be done 10 docks down like they can be that good when I fished the weekend series tournament way back when uh, Seth fighter and another guy and myself all started on the same docks, and we all finished in the top five. Uh, that's how good they can be when they're really good. So I was like, I hadn't practiced them all week. I hadn't fished them in, I don't know, 10 years, but I was like, I'm just going to give it a shot. And the very first dock I pull up on, I like, it was dark. Like they let us off really early and I could barely see. And I'm like flipping this little smallie beaver in there and I can barely see where it's going. And I get a bite. And I, I pin a decent smallie against a crossbar and he pops off. And I was like, this better not be how things go in this tournament. Five, six, seven docks down later. I get a good bite on a jig, stick a nice large, like a three and a half pounder, flip them in the boat. I was like, that was totally worth starting on this stretch to get, you know, three and a half pounders are gold on this lake. Like you can catch a lot of two and a half to almost three pounders, but anytime you're getting those three to three and a half pound bites and up, they're just gold on Vermilion. Like if you can catch a bag of three and a half pounders and have 17, 18 pounds, that's like legit solid every day. Uh, if you get more than that, that means you're getting a couple four pound bites and, and you're really doing something. So felt good about that. I ran to this hump by Ely Island. Uh, I quickly caught two fish, like a two and three quarter pounder and a keeper, uh, got my limit going. I hit a couple more deep spots, filled my limit, but they just weren't very big. So I had like one good fish, one decent fish and three rats. And then I started running some docks and just started working my way west. Uh, and I started making some calls, catching a few decent three-pound-plus fish, kind of alternating between, like, two-pounders and, and good ones, culling up, stopped on this sneaky little, like, transition area with some sunken cribs on it, caught a couple good fish there, uh, made my way west, caught, stopped on a deep spot that I had found in practice, that one school spot, and I got one almost four pounds. And, like, I thought that was a spot that my co and I could actually, like, fill our limits and just kind of, like, get all those filler fish and got one bite there, but it was, like, an almost four-pounder um on a tube and then from there so that was like 10 30 the morning. and i had like 15 plus pounds i was like dang that's a pretty good start so i kept working that pattern kind of bouncing deep and shallow culled up three four more times uh most of that was on a tube uh, a lot of the fish i caught in the tournament were on this little green pumpkin tube and uh it's just uh you yeah. know basic tube sometimes i threw green pumpkin sometimes i threw like a green pumpkin copper or gold fleck but i rigged it stupid tube which is basically internal jig head but you rig it so it's like almost like a shaky head so it's like texas rig um and that was a, that's a, always been a key for me on vermilion i've got a video on that i'll put it in the description uh, or search stupid tube halibut and you'll find it but basically um the key to this, it has a different fall than a Texas rig. It has a different fall than an internal tube, uh, but it's pretty much weedless, like a Texas rig. So it comes through rocks, it comes through docks, it comes through grass, it comes through wood. So it's really like a four by four tube jig, uh, and it gets bit. So that was really key for me, uh, fishing this on, I don't know, 14 pound line. I threw it deep, I threw it shallow, I threw it on docks, I threw it on laydowns. Um three-sixteenths and quarter ounce, depending on the cover, the wind, and the depth. And Like the first two days, almost every fish outside that largemouth I caught was on this, this stupid tube. Um, and uh, I weighed like six, almost 17 pounds the first day. I think I was in seventh overall, uh, feeling pretty good. I had probably, there was a one guy that caught an ounce more than me on my team, Andy Nichols. So we were virtually tied for the lead in the Minnesota team. Uh, and then there was a bunch of guys at all. 13 to 15 pounds. It was like everybody on the team was within striking range after day one, even though I had a good start. So day two, I'm second to last quote. I'm about 69 out of 70 or something like that. What was that like 90? I was about 89 out of 90. And, uh, so I knew I wasn't going to be able to, like, by the time we got out, I was like, I'm just going to start running docks because we got a later start. And, uh, like the very first dock I pull up on, catch a three and a half pounder on two. And I was like, all right, go down the next stretch, fish a tree I've never seen before in my life. I just like, Oh, I'm gonna start a little further down than I did the other day. Catch like a three, three and a half pounder, five, 10 docks down, I catch another three pounder. Things are just rolling. I'm not catching many fish, but everyone's a good one. And, uh, did a few more stretches, hit and miss, hit another stretch. It's always usually good. I fish a little further, I pick up a chatterbait, Fishing around a rocky point, catch one almost three pounds, hit another dock, never touched before on an island, catch one about three pounds. Like Things are just moving. And again, 10, 30 in the morning, I got 15, 16 pounds again. And uh, it's like a little bit different. I fished new water. I did it differently. But the result was midday, I had another solid bag. Uh, And then I kind of ran with that program, bounced deep and shallow again, picked up a couple three pounders here and there on the tubes and uh, another six, almost identical 16, 14, the first day, 16, 12, the second day. So consistency moved up um, and, uh, you know, found myself in second place, only like two pounds out of first. So I was like, wow, this is, this is pretty sweet. Um, And I got interviewed by Bassmaster. um, They did some articles which was pretty cool. I don't know if you guys saw this, but I'll um, share my screen here for a second. So, kind of got featured on the blog, which was, which I thought that was really awesome. We're hanging up here. There we go. So, Fantasy Fishing YouTube in second place. If you know anything about me, second place is actually very fitting uh, in my career. But, kind of had this, this stoic stare in the morning. <laughs> uh getting ready for game day um thank you Chris Mitchell for writing this up that was really cool got the feature the the rod that I just showed you in the tube rig um, on my Dobbin 743 there um, so that was kind of cool uh that was really that was really awesome so we got interviewed by bass for the tournament article um and uh, yeah so that that got things going and uh, was feeling pretty good like I felt like I could fit. I ended up having about a four-pound lead over Brent going into the final day. So whoever of us uh, finished ahead on the final day, basically, whoever was the top finisher was going to go to the Nationals. So he was the only other guy from – or the only other boater from Minnesota that finished the, or made the cut. So at had about a four-pound lead, and uh, he'd be catching okay. I know he had some big bags in practice, so I knew – You know, there wasn't, you know, if I really wanted to close him out, I probably needed 17, 18 pounds to make myself uncatchable. But I knew if I got, you know, 13, 14 pounds, that he would be, he'd have to catch him pretty good uh, to catch me. So I went out boat two again, because I was in second place. Uh, I drew the Wisconsin leader co. So he was in my boat. He was the guy that was leading it all. He would have been boat paired with the number one guy, but they didn't want to have two Wisconsin guys in the same boat. And uh, so I went out feeling pretty confident that, you know, if I ran my deal, you know, I could have a good bag again and, and, and like catching 12, 13 pounds shouldn't have been too hard. Um, but at the same time, I knew that this lake can get you. Uh, I know, you know, Andy Nichols, who's got more experience on this lake than I did, he had 17 pounds the first day and he went out and caught four for five pounds the second day. And I know last time Divisional was here, I didn't catch a limit the first day. So I know... There is the potential to get kind of in the wrong rotation, not make good decisions, zig when you should zag, and and get behind the a-ball not necessarily catch them, especially fishing majority shallow like I was. So I was confident but not overconfident, not a little bit apprehensive that I knew that, like, I couldn't get strong-headed and not, you know, catch what I needed to catch. So went out feeling pretty good. I was going to start on those docks again, but it was so dark. Couldn't see. So I was like, no, I'm going to run to a hump. Uh, so I started on this big flat rock hump, not big, actually the big flat rock, but a small hump. And, uh, I don't know. I started with the top water for a few casts, nothing, picked up a football jig, uh, with a speed craw on it right here. Little green pumpkin, red speed craw on a little half ounce PB and J bass tech tungsten football jig. And, uh, one of my first two casts i caught like as i was reeling it in caught like a 13-incher got him in the boat and i was like well that's not what we need but nice to get a bite throw back out there <clears throat> next two fish next two casts like a three almost a little over three pounder and almost three and a half pounder so i was like nice like this this is what we needed this is the start we were looking for and then the bite kind of stopped my co got a couple fish on a little baby tube I threw my tube a bunch didn't get bit and uh <clears throat> um kind of went low there for a second. I was like, man, I still feel like there's fish here. So I picked up, I dug this out of my crank, or out of my rod locker. I didn't have it on the deck. But I had tied this up, this little, uh, kind of brown craw DT6, uh, 704 champion crankbait rod, which is a great pairing for this. And I probably have it on, like, 12-pound line. And, uh, sort of burned that over this hump. And it was, the hump probably topped out at, like, 8 feet. So I couldn't quite hit the rock. But, about my third or fourth cast one just loaded up on it almost three pounds i was like nice so i kept burning that crankbait five six casts later caught another one about the same size i was like nice we got a limit like and i got two good ones two decent ones and a dink like i can get rid of that dink and, and like so i had like 14 pounds like that like 30 minutes and my co he got three fish he had like a two pounder and I'll, and two that were just under three so he had like eight and a half pounds, like pretty early in the day, and he had a couple pound lead, so he was sitting good. So I was like, well, if they're biting here, I'm going to go check this other old spot where sometimes they feed. Rolled in there, I saw my crankbait, and uh, my co and eggs, I had almost four pounds on a tube. And I was like, oh, man, I would love to have that fish. But that put him at like 10 pounds, so he was like golden for the day. Stayed there, uh, cranked up a couple fish. Uh, They upgraded a little bit, didn't really move the needle. Started running some docks and trees in that area, <clears throat> caught a couple of fish, kind of slowly creeping up. I lost one. It was probably almost three pounds. It would have been a really nice one, probably would have been as big as my smallest fish of the day or maybe a touch bigger. Um, ran some deep stuff, ran some shallow stuff, kind of ran that pattern the rest of the day. Kind of mixed in visiting stuff that I had been cut, catching fish on and, and running new stuff, and it just never happened. Like those places I was catching three to three and a half pounders turned into one-and-a-half to two-pounders. And uh, just never really like pushed the needle. I got myself up to about 15 pounds, but then I had a dead fish. Um, and, I, and I had this one really good dock up there on the oak Darrells that had like a pile of fish under it, and they were good ones, like two to three pounders. And we're, I was gonna hit it on the way back from this large wall spot that didn't pan out. And uh, I'm like pulling up to it. I stopped one dock. I was like, it "Looks, what is that pontoon? Why are those people standing in this pontoon? That pontoon was never there." Um. And this guy, old guy's like, do you live here? What? And I was like, no, uh, I'm just fishing. And he's like, oh, we're with the U.S. Census, and so we're trying to collect data. or looking for people that live here. And I'm like, what are the chances the census pontoon for hire with these two, like, 80-year-old guys and gal are stopping at the one dock I wanted to fish in this whole stretch? Just crazy. So I did catch one under it helped me a little, I end up calling it out later, but it's like, there was a lot of them under there. I don't know if they were under there and they just want to bike because they were being parked on top of or what, but it's just like, what are the chances? I mean, like if you'd ever been to Vermillion, Vermillion is in the middle of nowhere. Like the people that own this cabin probably had to get there by boat. They probably couldn't get there by car. So just nutty that the census was out and about on the dock that I wanted to fish. So yeah, guys, if you guys have questions, like hit them up. You guys are pretty quiet in the chat. I see several of you in here must be just listening, but uh, I don't, maybe I'm, I'm sewing some good threads here, but i uh, love to hear some questions. But so I had a pretty good feeling at that point that I fished hard, like in the back of my mind, it's like he, Brent could catch 18. He could catch 20. Like you need more weight. So I fished hard all day. Uh, it just never really materialized. Ended up with, uh, with the dead fish penalty, like almost 15 pounds under, um, by the time I weighed in, uh, Brent was ahead of me. He only had 12 or 13 pounds. So, like, it was kind of a foregone conclusion that I, I knew that the leader had caught enough to beat me. I knew I wasn't going to really move up. Um, and uh, so it kind of was anticlimactic, but it was good to, to to weigh him in and feel that difference. Um, and then, you know, clinch the berth of the boater the, the champion from Minnesota and move on to the national championship. So uh, was there milfoil? Um, I didn't find any milfoil. There was maybe some northern milfoil, but I didn't find like the good stuff. Um, there was a place where I found some largemouth on inside inside grassland, but there's some shallow milfoil, but it wasn't <clears throat> really like great milfoil where you could flip it. Um, so, yeah. Thanks, Ballin. Uh, yeah, what tournament next? So, it's the Nash- Bass Nation National Championship, which is in mid-November on Pickwick Lake. So, it's coming up in two months, Um, and that is basically there's like 50-some anglers fishing for three spots. The top three go to the Bassmaster Classic. So that's coming up on Pickwick in Alabama. So I'm super jacked about that. That'll make for some good content in the videos. So uh, if you guys aren't subbing already, then make sure you sub and hit that notification because the content's only getting better from here on out. Connor said, is there a big difference between the Fury and the Colt lineups? I don't know. Um, I've got a few Furies that I like. I use one for skipping docks uh, on my spinning rod when I do throw a, like a, a Senko or a Dinger. <clears throat> and then the other one I use for topwaters uh, was great. Um, but the only Colt one I have is a panfish rod. So I can't tell you what the big difference is um, between the Fury and the, the Colt. So um, I've heard good things about them. People are happy. I've got a lot of buddies, and there was a lot of guys – uh, they were up there. They were telling me about how they like their Furies and their and their cults. So I know there's a lot of guys that are, are happy with them. Um, so, yeah, I'm super stoked about that. Um, so hopefully I get down to go and pre-practice a little bit because it does go off limits for about a month, and then we get, like, two or three days of official practice on Pickwick. So um, I guess Tau, is that how you say your name? Uh, what real brands do you use? I'm about, I would say, two-thirds Shimano. And one-third dialogue. So that's mainly what my reels are, kind of depending on uh, what the, the application and uh, what I what, what I snag a good deal on, find good sales, things like that. So um, that's pretty much all I have used. I've, I've been a high, diehard Shimano guy forever, purchasing them on myself. And... Uh, just been slowly exposing myself to some of the diwos. I've been pretty impressed, so slowly working those in as well. Ballin says, "Have you ever been to Pickwick? I have not. I fished Gunnersville, uh, which is in the same chain, but I've not been to Pickwick. So I just fished a tournament this April. Was it this April? No, the April before on Gunnersville. <clears throat> but excited to uh, to learn." Um, it's got spots. It's got good smallies. It's got good largies. It's a little bit more river run than some of the other TVA in Gunnersville. So I think the current is going to be a big deal. I think some of the Mississippi River experience will be helpful uh, in diagnosing, you know, kind of dissecting that current and figuring out what them fish are doing. But I expect crankbaits, spinnerbaits, uh, you know, like some true bass swimbaits, things like that. I think those will all be players down there fishing in the current for shad do you think Lagrange is going to go out of business i mean everyone's buying Garmin and hummingbird uh no i don't lawrence i run birds for the most part but i would say lawrence they are probably the most rock solid unit there is out there like they probably have the least bugs they probably have the best like i mean like just like just all around unit like it has good mapping, it has good sonar, the side scan is pretty good. Their live site, yeah, doesn't sound like it's that great, but they're working on that technology. But like they're rock solid, like they're not buggy, they network like a dream, they they do everything you need, and I'm sure they're gonna come up with something that's gonna rival three sixty and live site or live scope pretty soon. So there's a lot of good things that Lowrance has going for it, and there's a lot of reasons that a lot of guys run them. So I don't think Lorance is going anywhere. Um, Bob also, did your left help you much in this tournament? Um, yes. Uh, so I use the mapping a lot. So I run dual units. I've got a newer Helix and I've got an older 900 series on my dash. And uh, one of the key things, whether I'm fishing the river or a big reservoir or a big lake, is I always run dual maps in practice. Like I want Lake Master. But i got all my color shadings and things like that. And then I've always got Navionics because – they're just gonna show you different things and and sometimes they show you the same things, but the way it displays it on the map, it just like pops up and goes, Oh, that looks really good. Some things look really good on avionics and don't look good on uh Lorance and and sometimes like or on Lake Master and, and sometimes like the, the Navionics will have like these little marks for boulders that maybe the Lowrance doesn't. And so there's there's always things from a dual mapping standpoint that I really like. So, you know, whether fishing deep or shallow, I'm always looking at that mapping, looking for something unique to get me in the right area to search shallow. Um, and to get around and, and, and navigation is really important on uh, vermilion because there's a lot of shallow stuff there's a lot of hazards there's a lot of islands that really start to look the same after a while um, but then i did i did graph a decent amount of offshore stuff and i did have a, a handful of offshore spots and there are things that i look for very specifically on vermilion uh, types of rocks <clears throat> because theres a lot of rock out there and it's everywhere so you need to find the stuff that's different and what they're Kind of relating to in the now, in the week you're there, um, and uh, I look for like big flat rocks, which look like underwater bluffs. I've always had good success on those. They're a little less snaggy than some other stuff, so they're friendly to fish. They seem to hold fish. I've always done well on those. So there's there's something that you find what works for you, and you can kind of run that. And, and i looked at that. Um, what dial reels would you recommend currently fishing all Corrado one E7s? Uh, I would say probably the Tatula CTs um, are probably the best comparison to those balling if you want to try one out. Uh, the Fuego is pretty good for 100 bucks. but I'm going to give you a jump up in that $130 range to get that Tatula CTs. Or if you want to splurge a little bit, I've been pretty impressed with the Tatula SV. I really like that for my uh, dock rod. And I actually want this one at Leech Lake, so. Uh, Tao says, will this be archived? Yes, absolutely. So about lunchtime tomorrow, this will be on my channel. Uh, You can watch the whole thing. I also, uh, I strip the audio and I create a podcast version. So there'll be a link uh, in the description uh, and in one of the pinned comments with a click to my anchor podcast. So if you like to listen to audio content like this, interviews, I've got, you know, probably 20 some of those that, you know, sometimes it's fancy fishing. Sometimes it's interviewing uh, elite series pros and things like that. Um, that's all there. So if you like to drive or walk or exercise and listen to bass fishing, I've got all that. So you can click those links by my previous streams. Or if you just search bass search podcast, uh, it should come up in your podcast apps. <clears throat> so lots of ways to archive these if you miss it. <clears throat> Do you think Arbu Garcia is going down a trend since Dow are getting bought a lot more? no. Because I think uh, Abu Garcia has a stronghold on that, like, sub-$100 market with, the like, the Veritas and all those rods. And so they provide a lot of value in that entry level, and they do a lot of combos and things like that. Uh, they're always available at Walmart and the big box stores. So there's, a, there's an availability and a price point that can get you a, a solid quality setup that Abu provides um, that is – you know, hard to beat. So I don't think they're going anywhere and they're part of pure fishing. So, um, you know, they have a, a large, well-rounded portfolio. Um, so I don't think Abu going anywhere. Um. <clears throat> so would you say you had a good practice? Um, I had a decent practice and I, I kind of talked on this earlier is that I really had this game plan in my head that I wanted to find this obscure stuff on the far west end of the lake. So I spent 80% of my practice looking for that, which basically meant I spent 80% of my practice eliminating water um, and distractions. So I knew where to focus during the tournament. So it helped me, I think, fish free um, and in the moment, because I wasn't hung up where I had gotten a bunch of bites in practice. I kind of fished a little bit of, What looked good, what I had done in the past a long time ago, what felt right. So I think it was a good practice in that I didn't get hung up worrying about exactly which dock or which lay down or which hump I got a bunch of fish in practice. I just kind of ran free and fished uh, what felt right. So I think that worked for me because there was a lot of guys that were probably on better fish and had found more fish uh, in practice on specific things. And uh, it didn't pan out for them as well as it did for me. Yeah, I would agree, Sycamore. I haven't had a lot of Abu's, but you know, fishing with other guys and, and using picking up their rods, they, they seem to be decent reels, especially for the money. Yeah, thanks for the kind words, Bob. Yeah, I really try to uh, and one thing I try to explain because I I want to entertain and I want to show you guys how to catch bass, but for me it's more about teaching people how to fish and catch bass, and like that's kind of my tagline is like here to help you catch more bass and suck less. <clears throat> so you know, really, when you think about it, we all actually suck pretty bad at bass fishing because uh, if you think about the number of casts that don't land or don't end in bites or fish as bass fishermen, um, it's pretty small, right? Like, so, like, maybe you catch fish on a half a percent of your casts. So if you can suck a little less and catch fish on 1% of your casts, like, that's twice as many fish. Like, so, you know, even Kevin Dam and Jacob Wheeler, they're probably only catching fish on a, a few percentage point of their casts. So it's really about... You know, to, to really move the needle, you just need to suck a little less and, 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 and move the needle in small ways to get your efficiencies up, make better presentations, get around more fish. So that's that's why I always say that at the end of my video. So that's that's kind of my angle. Pal um, says, what hooks do you use for your tubes? Um, let me grab them here. I've, I've got them all detailed in that, that YouTube video. Uh, one of the ones I use is this Tech agitator shaky head which is kind of a football-shaped uh, shaky head. And that fits really nice in the head. and It, it, it makes that this one's kind of ripped out. Um, but it lays nice in the tube. Uh, it's got enough of a gap to for a thin wall tube. The football head makes my tube head a little wider, so it comes through rocks and stuff better. <coughs> this one's kind of ripped out, so I can cheat it in the wrong way here. Um, but you can see that makes my tube head just a little wider with that football head. and then. You know, just, it's got that long shank, so I'm back here in the meat of the tube. There's enough bite, so when it collapses, uh, I'm getting the hook in that fish. So that's one of the two hooks I really like to use, and that's a Bass Tech agitator head, and I use that same head for, like, small swim baits. I use it for shaky heads. I use it for jig worms. So it's a real uh, versatile tube jig head. But another one that I really like uh, on the box, that, and actually broke off a lot of these, so I only have a couple left. But it's made by V&M. It's like their EWG uh, tube head hook. And it's got like a big, nasty, extra wide gap. I don't know if you can see that. Oop. Man down. So um, just to compare, like this is the, the Bite Me tube that like Zona recommends. And that's how much Bite that has versus how much this V&M has. So there's a lot more hook there. And for a stupid tube, that's the biggest thing, is a lot of people don't uh, get enough gap on their hook. The tube balls up, and they miss a lot of fish. So that's the key. You want that 60-degree line tie. I don't really care whether it's flat or vertical, in my opinion. Um, and then you want enough gap so that when that, kind of like Texas rig tube, you don't, if you don't have enough gap, you're going to ball up, and you're going to miss fish. Um, and I can put some links in the description afterwards. Um, yeah, thanks. Uh, serious angler you're my hero um you're on the path bud you just gotta stick with it it's all about the grind uh if you can't enjoy the climb then it's uh that's about all there is to it um yeah jay late but there's always the replay so you're you're good dano is this the dan o'keefe is this big five pound bass dan uh first thing I fish after a cold front hits kind of depends, but I usually like to get tight to cover. Um uh, I think the fish don't move a lot. If they were on the outside edge of the grass, they're probably gonna tuck in the grass. So if I'm fishing a jigworm on the outside, I might flip inside. If I was catching them around, you know, a bank, I'm gonna fish tighter to the lay downs, tighter the docks back in there or where there's more weed mats or more cover around that shallow. Um, that's typically what I'm going to do in a cold front. Um, kind of depends. Like if it's spring or summer cold front, they're going to tuck tight. If it's in the fall, sometimes it gets wide open. Like when that water temp cools in the fall, sometimes then it's time to break out the chatter bait and the square bowl and the spinner bait because they're going to be munching. Um, <clears throat> all right, so we're 40 minutes in. We covered... The, uh, the tournament recaps. I thought I would join the busy crowd since so I think uh, Travis Manson has the corner on White Claw. I would try some busies. Do <sighs> any other questions out there? We kind of a whole lot of me talking. I'd love to kind of make this some little more form. Let people jump in. Let me know what you're thinking. What's on your mind? Um, who should I have on? Like, like, should I have some, like, big-time guests, uh, like uh, like the serious angler? Like, who would you guys like to see on future streams? I definitely was a little preoccupied with fishing and, and getting videos caught up, and I didn't really think about the stream until yesterday. So I'll try to have some guests on. So if you guys got ideas for guests, leave them in the comments, or after the replay, leave them in the comments below. That'd be good. Favorite frog for wild rice? I would say that's a little bit up in the air, Michael. Um I did have some success in practice with I don't know must have come all out. Oh, right here, this one. This evolved nervous walker. Did pretty well. Um, but the bright colors, the fish time just seem to shy away from. Them. They don't make a solid black or dark frog. So in the tournament, <clears throat> I did pretty well with the old true tungsten frog and the swamp donkey. So I don't have a lot of current state frogs, but I definitely would avoid popping frogs in the rice and stick with walking frogs. That's for sure. I did play around with this Booyah Pad Crasher, and when the rice was standing up, this thing just didn't come through as clean as I wanted it to. So maybe later in the fall or early in the year when the grass is not in the same state, this could be good. Uh, but I think the jury's still out on the best frog for wild rice for me. Seth, shouldn't get Seth on. I, you know, Seth honestly lives 20 minutes from me. Maybe I could take the studio to his house or uh, he could we could hop in a bass cat together. That would be sweet. I should have Connor on. Well, we'll maybe slide into my uh, DMs and we'll talk about it. Can you talk about the jigworm in details? Um, sure. Um, I'm sitting on my rod locker. But so for me, a jigworm is an outside weed line presentation, semi power, semi finesse. I'm gonna fish that on a spinning rod, typically a six six to seven foot spinning rod. I like a 3000 or bigger size reel. You can do straight floral or you can do braid to floral. I like a slightly like a medium action for a jigworm because. Typically, on a jig worm with that exposed hook, your, your bait's going to fall in, it's going to get hung, and you're going to snap it out. And that's a lot of what the reaction strike is. <clears throat> so fishing on a spinning rod is key because you're typically targeting around clumps or the edge of the weed line with your cast, and you want to hit that edge. And a spinning rod, uh, with the way line comes off a spinning reel free, your line can drop very straight. Like that jigworm hits, it's going to fall very vertical. No matter how many how much line you peel on a bait caster, you're going to have a pendulum. And that's not what you want for a worm. So spinning rod. Uh, straight or a leader, I feel like. Hopefully, I'm back. Uh, and uh, hopefully, I didn't lose any of that. So yeah, spinning rod. I like braid now. I, almost all my spinning rods are braid, so I'll run like a 12- uh, to 15-pound braid to a 8- to 10-pound leader, depending how thick the grass is, how big the bass are. I'm going to usually fish an 8- to a 3 16 ounce jig head. I like the Bass Tech. Uh, what I was talking about earlier, it's, it's something I use versatile. Uh, so I'm looking, you know, it's got a little football ball head on it with a good keeper on it to hold your plastic up with a good hook. Uh, sometimes I will... Paint those heads chartreuse to get a little more reaction, a little, you know, that kind of looks like a bluegill. Uh, it's just kind of something you can try. So I either use like a real, like a green pumpkin or natural or a chartreuse jig head. Those are the two that I use for jigworms. Um, and then for me, plastics wise, it's fairly simple. We made a mess out of this box now. Um, so yeah, eighth and three sixteenths. Uh, I will go up to a quarter if it's really windy or deep. Eighth or three sixteenths almost all the time. Um, and then a lot of times I'm a, a young dinger, a stick stickworm, uh, a small straight-tail worm, or like a seven-inch power worm or a, a culprit or something like that. So there's basically a, a ribbon tail or a straight tail. That's about the only two things I throw. Um, and color, let the fish tell you what you want. I throw a lot of green pumpkin, a lot of natural. I'll, I'll mix in some some purples and things like that for the Casting it out, trying to hit that edge, get caught in a clump, get caught on the edge of the weed wall, flick it up, let it fall. Sometimes you dead stick it, but it's like let it catch in the grass, shake it free, let it fall, let it catch, pop it up, let it fall. That's that's jigworm in a nutshell. Landon, you were at Crystal in Burnsville just down the road from me. Uh, been tough, only four and two nights of fishing, mostly dinks. Hmm. I haven't been out there in a while. I was out there, I did like a pre-practice video maybe about a month ago. Uh, if you look back uh, where I was, it's, uh, my, my thumbnail is like fishing right next to another boat. <clears throat> so that was, I did okay. I caught some decent fish. Um, that was all jigworms and jigs on weed lines uh, back then too. Last year I had a good flipping bite going out there. This year I have not been able to get the flipping bite. It's been a while since I've been out there. Definitely feels like the foil and the weeds are down on crystal this year. And that just seems to be a trend across most lakes I've been to. Top five confidence patterns on catching big bass. Hmm, good question. That probably depends a little bit on where I am, but for me, like a couple that don't change is a flipping jing, uh, three-eighths or half ounce with a creature or a menace grub or a speed crowd. This has got a little baby D-bomb on it. I throw a couple variations of green pumpkin and black blue and oaky craw, and that's about all I throw. And I've always got one on. So that's always a go-to for me, whether I'm fishing the river, whether I'm fishing a natural lake, smallies, largemouth, always going to have a Bass Tech tungsten jig on. Um, also, uh, bladed jig, you know, like this is a mainstay. Like about uh, on whitefish, this bluegill color produced some really nice fish. On vermilion, I caught a couple keyfish key fish on a white and chartreuse with a smaller um, trailer on it. So this is the full-size arsenal minnow, the tactical minnow on that. It's a little paddle tail, but it's such a flimsy paddle tail, it acts more like a fluke. Um, and then I thought I just had those handy. They were here, I don't know where they were. I had the smaller white ones on the back of a white and chartreuse. Oh yeah, so these right here. These are really good, uh, plated jig trailers. Whether you're a jackhammer guy or whatever, but this is the smaller one. So for smallies, I was throwing this little smaller one, um, and then the bigger ones when I'm around more large ones. Oh, so, so I would say those two don't change much. When I can, I feel like a frog is a good uh, confidence bait for big fish. Um, I like flipping creatures. You know like a like a, a beaver or a d-bomb you know just on a half ounce three quarter ounce tungsten and then uh yeah if it, if it gets me on that we're probably bringing out spring rods and i'm probably trying to lose my confidence but those are kind of the mainstays thanks you can try it on the california delta what are you trying what, what are you taking to the delta which one which one are you trying the jig war? i actually caught on i Successful on Gunnersville on the jigworm. I got some good fishing practice on that. I have not fished pelican and oar, uh, but I've heard it's good and it's got bigs. I don't know if there's a ton of fish, but I know it's got good, both smallies and large. I know it uh, <clears throat> has some big pike in it, but I think there, I mean, I wouldn't be shy about just locking that jig in my hand and doing some work if it were me up in oar. Yeah, the darthead is different. Because typically a dart head, uh, from my understanding, is it's more of a, like, sus- like suspend, slow swim, glide, or vertical, kind of like the Domeki. You know, you're more swimming a worm, whereas the jig worm, we're more, like, letting it drop, popping it, like, you know, in the grass. That's typically what we're doing. Um, so it's a little different than a shaky head as well. So it's probably, like, halfway between a shaky head and a dart head is a good way to think about it. Mm. Come on, there's got to be a few more questions. Anybody besides Seth that we want to have on? Any bait makers? I've been thinking about what do you guys think about? I haven't reached out to him, but I'm trying to think about reaching out to Gary Dobbins to have him on. You guys think that would be a good idea? What is my tournament schedule for the rest of the year? So I haven't signed up yet, but I think I'm going to fish a team tournament on Tonka on September 13th. So that'd be fun. Uh, I probably will practice a day, fish that. Uh, That's a TBF team tournament. And then two weeks after that, the TBF semis, that'll be like a 50-boat tournament on Leech Lake uh, with a chance to make the TBF nationals if I can finish – Top guy from Minnesota. Um, and then you know, maybe fish a fun. There's like there's a couple fun tournaments around like south of where I live, by Fairball and things like that. Then I might try to like October time frame. Kind of like that tournament I fished with Stoby last year. <clears throat> might jump in some of those kind of like fruit jars and then obviously the Bassmaster or the Bass Nation Nationals uh in Pickwick in November. So plenty to do. Keep me busy till almost Thanksgiving, so lots of good stuff coming up. Best gear ratios, <clears throat> um, I think. Boy, I would say if I can only have one gear ratio, it'd probably be a seven one to one for most of my stuff. Um, that's what I throw chatterbaits on. That's what most of my flipping and pitching stuff is. Uh, that's what I use for frogging. I will bump up to an eight to one for a few things, and I will bump down to six maybe for some crank baits and spinner baits and stuff but yeah if, if i was just going to focus on one it would be 7 to 1 uh and dabble in a few 63s and a few 8 to 1s and i think they're there uh opens not any like bassmaster opens there might be some open local tournaments in minnesota but yeah i'm not don't have the uh <coughs> the schedule availability uh to fish the opens uh so Believe it or not, on top of all these videos and all these streams, all these tournaments, I'm still swinging up a 50-hour-a-week job full-time. So. <laughs> so between that and my kids and them still being in sports, uh, my plate's pretty full. Favorite smallie bait? Um, probably this. I mean, like, honestly, this this little <laughs> stupid tube that I showed earlier, this little, you know, three-and-a-half-inch green pumpkin tube, uh, rigged stupid style. That's money um that gets it done in a lot of places some other baits that i like i don't mind throwing small contacts uh drop shots ned rigs uh but yeah if i can catch them on a tube i'd much prefer to do that because i can throw it on a baitcaster usually uh for me it's almost always green pumpkin or a variation of green pumpkin like green pumpkin gold fleck green pumpkin copper green pumpkin purple um if it's super super clear maybe a smoke tube every now and then All right, Landon, you broke your frog rod. I think I'm getting an XP. Which one would you recommend? Uh, So that's the XP is the Chan series, the blue ones. A lot. If you like like a super stout and rod, a lot of people love the 736. Uh, I had that rod. It is pretty good. It's got a little bit of a tip on it. Uh, It's a great rod. Uh, I'm torn between the 735 and the 736. If you just want a rod that's 100% dedicated to frogging, and you like launching a frog, and making like casting through pad fields, and duckweed mats, and big weed mats, 736. If you're a little more tactical in your frogging, and you like to skip them under docks, and around trees, and real targeted, and close quarters, I think the 735 is a better option. It's got a little more tip. It's a little easier to make those accurate casts with a 735. Um, And honestly, you can get an XP. They're nice. But a Fury, a Sierra will do it just as good. I mean, you're going to see everyone. It's not a feel thing. A 735 is still pretty light being 7.3. So any of those rods would be good in a 735 or 736 um, (coughs) for a frog. Zona would be awesome. He is a hard man to track down. We might have to get a few more. You might need to share with your buddies and friends and push my sub count out just a touch higher, higher before we start to get zone on here. He's pretty busy, but I would love to talk with Zona on here. No <laughs> yeah, this tube is, yeah, stupid just misunderstood, yeah. Uh, old school telescoping flipping rods—they still work. I just gave away—I had two of those that I just gave away to the Farmington High School team uh, for some of those kids to use. Um, so, I mean, I kind of. Gone a little shorter. I used to use a lot more seven, six, eight foot rods for flipping. Now I've kind of like my longest ones now like seven, nine, seven, six. Uh, a lot of seven fours. So, <clears throat> and you see that from uh, Seth as well. He uses a lot of you know seven, three, seven, four rods with braid to fluoro for a lot of his flipping and stuff too. So, next combo I would add to my arsenal. There's a couple rods I'm interested in. One is the Chatterbait rod, the 736CB or the 735CB. That's supposed to be the bee's knees for bladed jigs. Um, But I definitely need to get rid of some rods, add some rods. Um, So that's one I'm thinking about. The other one would be the Ecstasy uh, 725. So I think a 7'2 5 power. So I would entertain that instead of my 705 Extreme. Uh, I don't know that I need it, but it's tempting. Yeah, frog snappy don't care for sure. Uh of I irod seven eleven rod tonight. I'm sure. I things about I rods. Haven't haven't used it much myself, but uh, there's a lot of good rods out there. The thing I like about Dobbin's is the consistency that I get. And I know what I'm getting and they're well balanced and I'm comfortable with the lineup. And I, it's a familiarity. I don't like, uh, mixing it up a lot and, I, and then just, they work for me. I, I like that. They have a softer tip action. I feel like that helps me land more fish. I lose less fish than other people I fish with. And I think that's all part of that package. And, and there's a lot of other rods that have those rods in their lineup, but I feel like Dobbs does a good job of consistency. You know what you're going to get from, from model to model. They're very, their style is very consistent. So, yeah, so and it has been all great. I mean, I did blow out one of my favorite flip-flops recently. So that that was a big bummer. So now we're in the search for another perfect flip-flop. I'm not a big – anything between my toes. So I like these strap styles, and they're hard to find. So you know where you can get some good flip-flops. Let me know. Slide into my DMs because I'm kind of bummed about that, you know. It's going to cut into that revenue budget. You know replacing those flip-flops. Yep, Falcon makes some great rods. Uh obviously they work for Christy and, and several other guys. Uh, I had a Falcon a long time ago. Haven't had one in a while, but uh they make some good rods for sure. <clears throat> Interesting. I have heard a few people say they broke their Dobbins. I've definitely broken a few, but I'm definitely not easy on my equipment. Um, but their warranty is, uh, is pretty fair and pretty good. So they do stand behind them. So like any rod manufacturer, none of them are perfect. And uh, a lot of it is about, like, how do they stand behind their product when something does go wrong? Um, I did break this one over here, but that's because I was trying to stab my tube out of some rocks, and that was my own fault. So um, most, I would say, 95 percent. You know of the 20 rods i've broken in my life 19 have been my fault <laughs> so um so but anything like i always tell people like you know there is no perfect rod uh finding what works for you is what's important just like you know uh not every, not every golf club works for every person, right? Like there's just, you know, not every baseball bat is the right setup for every, like, it's just some people mechanics are different. The way they fish are different, what they want from their rod. If the reel they put on it, the, the line they use, it's just, you have to find what fits you. It's not like not everybody wears the same baseball glove because, you know, so it's, I don't know. That, that's my take is like, find what works for you. Uh, and find the gear and the lineup and the setup you know, that matches your fishing style. Uh-oh, got a peeker. What's up? Okay. We got a tuck-in request from the, the youngest one, so can always do that. Elvin's Island Shop online for flip-flops or sockeyes. I don't know what a sockeye is besides salmon. So, I don't know, what is what everybody else up to? What's what's going on? Are people catching them other parts of the country? Thoughts on favorite rods? Um, I think they have done a great job marketing. They've obviously made uh, a big impact in the sport. They've actually put a lot of money back into the sport, which is great. Good to see that. Um, I've honestly never fished with one uh i saw them at dick sporting goods once and they had these plastic tubes on them and i wasn't interested enough to pull them out of the plastic tube to actually get my hands on them so i really have not much to say other than that they've done a lot of things right from a marketing standpoint and obviously there are a fair amount of people that like their rods and you know they offer a lot of decent rods at a decent price point but actually how they fish how they feel I, i don't have any comment on that Would you ever entertain the episode of sending out uh, outdated tackler gear to some of your subscribers? For sure. I actually, uh, there was one of my viewers. They had, uh, they were, him and his son were just getting into fishing. They were on a budget. And uh, I filled a flat rate box, like one of those USPS, like big boxes. And I said, basically, send me 20 bucks to cover the shipping. And I shoved a bunch of jigs and hooks and decals and buffs and spinner baits and crank baits and all, I mean, I probably put $200 worth of stuff in there and stepped it to them. So um, especially if you got kids or you're trying to get into fishing or you got anglers to get into fishing, I would, you know, slide into my Facebook or Instagram DMs and, you know, I donate a lot of tackle. I sell a lot on eBay, but there's always stuff that I can call out. So if it goes to a good cause, I definitely would be up for that. Justin, good question. What do you guys think what do you think about creating electronics creating an uneven playing field in tournaments? Hard to just keep up when you guys have 20k electronics on their boat. I actually thought about doing a video about this because, you know, there was the whole thing with Randy Blockett and Awesome Felix and that whole thing on Bastalk Live. And I have a Hummingbird 850 or 958 on the front of my boat, which was a pretty good unit when I bought it. But it's five plus years old and three generations old and uh i still do pretty well on vermilion you know i I hang uh caught plenty of deep fish on uh, whitefish and uh so i think do electronics give you an advantage yes but if you don't know how to find fish know how to catch fish those electronics aren't going to be your crutch like, they can make a good angler better, but they're not going to make a terrible angler good or great. So um, I know you feel the pressure to go out and spend all this money, but there's a lot of guys with Garmin's and 360's that I dusted in the last handful of tournaments with my old Humminbird units. So, um, you know, if you can afford it, and but if you can't catch them with the electronics you have, investing five grand electronics is not going to make you a great angler. You still need to learn the fundamentals. You still need the basics of finding fish. You still need to spend time on the water and gain that intuition and, and feel for what's going on in the lake. Um, so, I mean, I definitely will probably want to upgrade my units and get a helix, maybe look at a three hundred and sixty eventually. Um, but you know, that, that doesn't make the angler. Um, so yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't let that dissuade you when you see guys with a bunch of graphs on their boats, you know, if, if you put in your practice time and do your work, you can still kick their ass. <laughs> um, that's my mentality. Anyways, like uh, I'm not going to debt myself to get a live scope or a 360 until I like ready to do it. And uh, I'm sure it would help me catch a few more fish and it would improve me, but I think it would be incremental. So um, Jason or, uh, Jacob Wheeler would still kick everybody's ass with two graphs instead of five. Hope that answers your question, Justin. Um, Best advice on a YouTube channel, it's pretty easy, is that uh, do it because you like creating the content. Do it because you like fishing and you like making videos. Make the videos that you like, that you want to watch, um, and you need to enjoy the climb. Right? Because it's not easy. Like you could get lucky and uh, have a couple videos pop off and have Easy Street, but uh, that's not the reality for most people. And uh, if you don't enjoy it, you're in it for the wrong reasons. I'm in it to make videos to teach people how to fish, and I enjoy making the content. Um, And a little bit to have a legacy. You know, someday, hopefully, my kids and my grandkids will be like, hey, That's grandpa, right? Like I didn't, maybe I didn't get to know him a ton, but this will all be out there as an archive. Uh, so I think that's kind of cool. So do it because you want to, not because you think you're going to get rich. Um, I've only been monetized for the last few months. It's a nice little perk, but it's still a fraction. Like it's barely paying for any gas in my boat at this point. I mean, look at me, I can't even afford a new flip flop. So, uh, (laughs) but, uh, yeah, do it for the right reasons, and if it gets to be a job, then find something else. And I would say find yourself a used GoPro or someone that's getting rid of one. Use your phone. Use Get a used GoPro. Don't spend $500 and put yourself on the eight ball until you know you really love it. <clears throat> I'm finally to the point now where I probably will think about upgrading my GoPros. <clears throat> right now, I think I have a four and a five uh, that I both got used super cheap. Uh, um, you can buy aftermarket mounts on Amazon for cheap. So buy what you need, buy it used, spend as little as possible, make sure you like the process and work out from there. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. College is great. Like I know college fishing came out after I was out of college, but you see everything from, uh, a 78 seen him for the 40 horse on it to the, to the 90 horse 87 Skeeter that balling was fishing in to the guys that have daddy's money that got 21 foot Rangers and all the bells and whistles. And uh, there's no telling who's going to catch them. So um, don't let that, that's a mental thing. Like there are times <clears throat> that I want to upgrade my boat a little bit. That would give me an incremental advantage. Like on Leech Lake with a slightly bigger boat and a, you know, bigger, le- trolling motor. I could have got across that lake a few minutes faster. I could have covered water a little better. Maybe I could have got another bite each day. Maybe that would have made a difference, but it wouldn't have been the difference between me finishing 50th and 2nd. It would be the difference between maybe 3rd and 2nd or 2nd and 1st, maybe, but maybe not. So uh, You still have to put yourself in the position, and 99% of the time, boats aren't going to hold you back. It's very situational on when that's going to play. So. For all the little team tournaments and 90% of the lakes you're going to fish back home in the jackpotters and the Wednesday nighters and the weekend leagues, 17, 18 footer with a 90 or a 125 or a 150 is going to get the job done. If you're starting to fish bigger tournaments, multi-day tournaments, it can start to add up where you know having a 19 or 20 footer with a 200 or 250 is going to probably help you some, but it's not a magic wand. It's not going to make you a good fisherman out of nowhere. Whalers are sweet. Boston Whalers, I think, are underrated. I think they, they are great fishing platforms. <clears throat> what else? What have we what haven't we talked about tonight? Oh I feel like fall is starting to come. Like a little bit of cool air finally. I'm excited for that. That's a good question, Bob. I think for a long time, uh, Midwest anglers didn't fare well traveling nationally. I think that's changing more now. I think the age of the internet is helping that. Um, There's some advantages and disadvantages. The advantage of being from the upper Midwest is we have a lot of fish that bite. So if you want to learn how to fish a drop shot or want to learn how to fish a Ned Rig or a spy bait, our lakes are full of willing and participating fish. So you can go out and get bit on things and build confidence and learn how they work. That's the upside. Uh, we have a lot of diversity. We can fish the Mississippi River. We can fish natural lakes. We can fish grass. We can fish shallow. We can fish dirty. We can fish clean. That's an upside. The downside, most of, <clears throat> most of our lakes don't have a lot of shad, which is a big thing when you go down south. Uh, them, the bass that relate to shad do a lot of different things. They they set up differently. They eat more horizontal baits than they do up here. That's tough to get used to. Uh, not having many reservoirs, it's uh, grassless lakes, hard to get used to that. The other thing with our seasons up north, we don't get to fish a lot of pre-spawn. So typically that is one of the biggest hurdles when you go down south in the spring is getting to learn how to fish pre-spawn. One, it's usually closed, and two, our pre-spawn happens so fast. So those are some of the kind of pros and cons for up north. But, you know, Guys like Josh Douglas, Seth Fighter, Austin Felix, uh, who's a guy from Wisconsin that's doing really well this year, uh, Caleb Kufal. There's a lot of guys that are making it, you know, on the Elite Series. So uh, if if you want to do it and you have the talent, you can do it. Go-to baits for flipping docks. Uh, First and foremost, I'm always going to start with this 3-8-ounce Bass Tech flipping jig. I'll put a menace grub, a speed craw, a baby uh, D bomb on there. Uh, that's if they'll eat the jig. I'm going to throw that every single time. Um, for me, the jig is a confidence thing, an efficiency thing, and a big fish thing. Um, there are times when they're finicky. If I feel them like short striking it, picking it up, dropping it, following my bait out, and they're not eating it, I will pick up a Texas rig or a Senko, or a Wacky Rig, or something like that. If they're not, and they're eating the jig, I will always fish the jig. Because you can fish it faster and more efficiently. Once you learn how to skip a bait caster and you're good with it, you can make more presentations. The jig gets to the bottom. You can fish the water column faster. You can swim the jig between docks. You can do more things with it. You can fish them faster. You can fish more docks. So. Even if I'm only catching 80% of the fish under the docks and catching 90% of them, if I fish 25% more docks in a day with a jig, the numbers will go in my favor. Um, The other thing is a jig with a trailer, you can catch sometimes five, six, eight fish before you ever have to replace the trailer, whether you have to fix the jig. I mean, a Cinco or a Texas rig, you're fixing that every fish, sometimes replacing plastic almost every fish. So more presentations more quality presentations when they're biting it if you're efficient you can dominate plus it get big bites so those are the reasons i like a jig plus when you hook them on a jig you almost never lose them you can throw it on braid or 20 pound fluoro you have much more control of the fish than you do on a spinning rod so those are all the reasons that i really like a jig and only if the fish are telling me that they won't eat it will i go to something else Um, but when it's tough, I'll, uh, wacky rig a, uh, a, next in general, year so I don't know what else, and, and this is like the time now, as we get into September and early October and early November, that's my favorite time to fish docks with jigs and wood. Like, that's when the big ones show up. So, Mm-mm-mm. Appreciate all the questions. Um, it's been awesome. I just want to let you guys know that I appreciate. It. Like, i have seen the sub count go up. I'm seeing the watch time. I'm seeing the views, and I just want to. You know, I recognize that, and I appreciate you guys. So the people that are talking to their friends, that are sharing the, the social links, that are telling people about the channel, it's working, and I and I appreciate that. Like, if that's the <clears throat> the best way you can help me out, um, you know, besides like super chats and things like that, is to just tell your friends. If you're enjoying the content, they probably will, too. Good question. 360 or live scope? I ask myself this all the time. Like, If I'm going to invest and upgrade the units in the front of my boat up here, um, what do I want to do? And I think they both have their application. And you see certain tournaments dominated by one or the other. Um, I think when you're fishing around structure and boulders and grass and things like that, 360 seems to shine where you can just be super effective with your cast. You can always be targeting that thing that you want. Um, so like Champlain dominated by uh, 360. Uh, I think Ufala dominated by 360. Live scope seems more dominating when they're on a place like St. Clair or the St. Lawrence where the fish are schooled up, they're moving a lot, they're not necessarily tied to cover or real specific things. They're moving off humps, they're moving on. St. Clair, they're fishing flats with grass clumps. So the guys with live scope can move around until they literally see the fish and fish for them. So places like Lanier, St. Lawrence, St. Clair, that seems to be more of a dominant thing. Uh, crappie fishermen love live scope and they dominate live. like live scope is like cheating for crappies. Um, so I think kind of depends on the type of angler you are and the situation. And I think that's why you see somebody like Jacob Wheeler fishing all of, both of them and he uses whichever one makes the most sense for him. Thoughts on fishing braid, fluorocarbon, and clonofilament. I honestly almost never use monofilament. I don't have a rod spooled up. Uh, the only time I would use straight mono is super shallow cranking or super shallow baits Like, that kind of like down south fall where the fish get super shallow on flats and you're throwing like tiny crankbaits and you're trying to get like the shad that are in this deep water where you're like grinding over stumps and rocks. Or or in Minnesota when you get like this much water above the weeds and you want to run something, you want to keep your bait up, that's about the only time I would use monofilament. Sometimes I'll use it on my Carolina rig leader on the river uh, just to keep my bait up a little bit. It doesn't make a ton of difference, but sometimes just that mono leader will keep you out of the rocks a little more. Other than that, uh, braid all the time for frogs, braid all the time on top waters, like ploppers, buzz baits, straight to braid, walking baits, and poppers, braid to a short floral or mono leader to keep the braid out of the hooks. And uh, otherwise, most of my stuff is straight floral, like flipping jigs, football jigs, uh, beavers, things like that. A lot of it. Is straight floral if i'm in real heavy grass i will go to straight braid or braid to floral for some of that spinning rods all braid floral for finesse situations and then uh will vary leader length depending on what i'm doing <clears throat> if i'm fishing spy baits uh swimming kitex things like that i'm gonna have like a 20 foot leader uh, most of the other stuff i'm gonna have like a 6 to 12 foot leader for like drop shot shaky heads jigworms, worms things like that Why do you think Jake Miller has no bait sponsors like Z-Man and Striking? Because I think he doesn't want to be tied down. I think for what bait sponsor is probably going to pay him. Uh, he has Guggen's, though, so that's a bait sponsor. So he does a lot of Guggen's. But um, but he he wants to win. He's going to use whatever he can to catch him. So that's part of it. Uh, but I'm pretty sure he's Rapla. he's Guggen. So he's got plenty of bait sponsors. <laughs> Uh, yeah, you know, social media. Yeah. You can sign, you can send me an email at in Minnesota. Vixens are good. Yeah. So there's my email. If you want to reach out to me, um I don't know what in Minnesota means, Justin, unless I missed some other part of your account. Oh, 360 or live in Minnesota. Got it. Um I think in Minnesota, I think 360 day in and day out. Um I am gonna go fishing with my buddy Aaron in September, October up on Malax, and we'll test the live scope up there. So I could see on certain places like Malax or a few other places where maybe the three sixty could shine or the live scope could shine, but I think Day in, day out, I think the 360. Um, I can't think of anybody that I fished with at the state tournament or up at Vermillion or places like that where I was like, oh, man, we dominated with the live skill. But I'm sure there are situations. There are always times, like situations where it could be good. Um, I haven't spent a lot of time with either one of them, honestly. I have very little time in the boat with either one of them. So... Uh, more to learn So Garmin or Hummingbird if you uh, want me to give you an honest opinion just uh, slide into my DMS <laughs> Still 20 of you guys ride or die hanging in here. It's awesome Played out the Tokyo rig like I have a little bit um, Still I mean it seems to work I've gotten bites on it. Um, There was that day flipping this spring in June where I was catching a bunch on a D-bomb. I picked up the tokyo rig, I caught a few fish, but it didn't seem like it moved the needle, wasn't any better. I'm sure there are times, but for me, I haven't found that sweet spot, but I've got some and I'll continue to play with them. I'm I'm not ruling them out. I'm not uh, putting them on a pedestal yet. Would you recommend the DT crank for someone looking to start deep? Yeah, the the DTs, I think, are a great crankbait. Um, They get bit. They have good actions. They're tried and true. I think it's nice that they call them DT4, 6, 14, 12, 10. It's really easy to figure out how deep they go. Um, They come through grass great. So if you're up in Minnesota, Wisconsin, they're great around grass. They're better than most. And uh, they float up nice. They're not super, super durable because they're balsa, so be careful about slapping them on the water, but other than that, they're a great crankbait, and they're, they're pretty they're pretty inexpensive. Uh, DT6, DT10s are some of my favorite baits for cranking. What's up, Josh? He did have a Garmin. I don't know how much he was using it, but he did get the Garmin bonus, but I didn't get the feel that he was using the Garmin a lot. Um, If I qualify for the elites, would you do it? So yeah, I mean, if I won the vast nation, I would qualify for the elites. I honestly would love to, but I don't think where I'm at with family life, I don't think it would make sense right now. I mean, it sounds really awesome. <clears throat> I haven't had that conversation with the family, but um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, if I won the classic and qualified, I would do it 100 because with the 300 thousand and the title, that would be a no brainer. But um, if I just made it through the nation, I have to do some soul searching and have to talk to some people about partnerships for sure. If I could get my cowork- my my employer to keep me on the payroll like Bob Downey has and just have a bunch of unpaid time off, then uh, maybe. But uh, there'll be a lot of things to figure out for sure. And I know there's a lot of things I do very well as an angler, but I know there's a lot of things that I need to improve on if I was going to compete at that level. So when I catch them, but they really catch them, <laughs> but, but no, I've fished against a lot of guys like, you know, Austin Felix and, and Bob Downey and Josh Douglas. And so, uh, and Seth. So, I mean, I understand, but a lot of those guys have also spent more time at that level now and have honed their levels. And I'm sure they're, I've learned a lot of things uh, that have made them a lot better. You definitely want to do that, as pundit. Stupid tube is lethal. You just need to make sure you are uh, got a good hook, <clears throat> and that uh, you're rigging it little text bows, um, and uh, don't be afraid to throw it on a little bit heavier line it can be good on a braid to floral on a spinning rod. Uh, I throw mine on like a media caster, like don't go too light. Cause you gotta remember you got to drive that hook through like a Texas rig. Thoughts on Taco Edo. Yeah. I wish I knew more about Taco, but he's really taking the elites by storm this year. Uh, I know he made it through the central Olds last year. He had a really good tournament on, on grand. I know. I remember when Bob Downey won that one and he's been a top 10 machine lately. So, um, uh, i started following him on Instagram and most of the stuff in Japanese. So I don't know what he's saying, but uh, guy seems like he knows what he's doing. He's going to catch him. I don't think he's going anywhere. So impressed, impressed with Taku. That's all I can say. Uh, how's it going? Fishing with JBT. We're just hanging out talking fishing. We, uh, we did a bunch of tourney recaps earlier in the night. Now we're just kind of answering questions and kind of AMA Q and A uh, and just hanging out, having a, a ladies drink. While uh, while I answer some questions on the stream, there's gotta be a few more questions. The numbers just went up. There's some new people in here. Let's see if anybody's. Oh, I feel like we're fading on the questions They We tapped you guys all out. Oh, Shadow. I bought a bunch of tubes from eBay. I thought we're jig head, but turned to be stupid. Hundreds. Oh, there's a lag on the questions here. Justin. Has this year seemed off as far as where the majority of the better fish have been? Around Tonka. has been like, here, still catching, flipping, but I was, yeah, I it's been different for sure. It seems like the grass, I don't know why. I don't know if it's because we had like a, kind of a warm spring and a cold spring or it just like was late and it just popped or if the lakes were covered with more snow or we had early ice last year because it like, <clears throat> you know, we had it got really cold really fast last fall. None of the lakes seem to have the grass as good as they do now or past year. So I think there's something weird at the grass here that's got the fish kind of a little bit in the funk and in different places. Favorite rod for cranking line? Um, I got a handful of cranking rods. They're all the Dobbins champions. So I've got a couple 704s that I keep spooled with like 10 to 12 pound line for like DT6s and jerk baits. They got a 705 that I'll throw square bills and lipless on. And then I got a 765 that I'll throw like DT10s, DT10s, and that'll have like 12-pound on it. So um, most of those will have 10 to 12-pound. Sometimes in the 705, if I'm doing some gnarly stuff, I'll maybe bump up to 14, 15-pound fluoro. So all fluoro, all champion cranking rods for Dobbins. <clears throat> and they're all like – I don't I don't throw the glass ones. I throw the graphite composite ones. <clears throat> the glass doesn't work for me. You ever fish spinnerbaits? I think is what you're saying. Spinner baits or chat you fish spinnerbaits or chatterbaits more. Definitely chatterbaits more. I there are like almost any bait you ask me about. If you said Rich, grab me this, I'd go in my boat. 13 seconds later, I'd have it. If you'd ask me to find a spinnerbait in my boat, it, I, there's probably a couple in here, but it would take me a long time to find them. Um but yeah, I, I like uh, Chatterbaits a lot more. They've kind of played Spinnerbaits for me. Yeah, for sure, people. Hit the like button. Throw a dog a bone. Who are your favorite bathanglers You can't use Jacob Wheeler. Um. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. I, <clears throat> I like Zaldane as an angler and as a person. I'm not saying that he's like Feel like, we'd be best friends, or like, I fish like him at all, but I admire him. Uh, I really like Cox, John Cox. The fact that he won an AOI basically with not having any sonar or side scan on his boat is awesome because, at heart, I like to catch him shallow. I do catch him deep when I need to. Um, so, I think what John Cox does is, is pretty amazing. Uh, the guy's just super fishy. Um, I like Hack Attack. He hasn't thrived in the BPT, uh, but I really enjoyed him when he was fishing FLW and uh, bass. Um, Jason Christie, I like him for kind of the same reasons I like Hack. Just guys that, that just that catch them, they power fish, they're good. So there's a lot of guys that I, I like out there. I kind of miss some of the guys that are BPT. The, the BPT doesn't like <clears throat> move the needle for me. I try to watch it. I, I, I take the content in, but... And I fished some of that format. I fished the classic bass. I fished some of those other ones. And they're fun to fish, but for me, they're not as fun to watch. So what's your best to throw after next day it rains and it's overcast no wind? Uh overcast no wind? Probably a topwater, if I can. Or swim a jig. He's to fish against Zelda in club tournaments. Nice. He seems like a good dude. Is he a good dude? I mean, in person, he just seems like a genuine good dude. All right. So we got about half a busy left, but when the busy's gone, the stream's over. Go tuck the kids in. Otherwise, like this weekend, Labor Day, I don't know if you guys got big plans, but we're going to go down to a friend's place on the lake, and I'm actually going to leave the boat at home. We're going to bring the life jackets. We're going to bring some tubes. And, like, I've been along from home a lot lately, so this weekend's going to be all about the kids. We're going to, we're going to pull them around on tubes and let them have the fun this weekend. So hopefully you guys are going to do something fun. Hopefully you guys are going to be around family, friends this weekend, do some grilling, uh, and uh, and have some fun. <clears throat> do I think... A lot of pro anglers are going to move back to 5 fish tournaments. No, I do not think a lot, but I think a few will. Um, I know there are several anglers that are fishing the opens to try to get their elite qualification back. There are a few that have the legend exemption, but those are very few, and a lot of them are BBT owners or MLF owners, so I don't think those guys will be moving. But there are a few, and I think it will be a slow migration because with the contracts – and with bass having a full field, it's going to be hard for them to get back. So I think you're going to see a lot of guys fish the BPT, and they're going to keep fishing the opens, and if they qualify, they will make the move, but they just can't leave and show up. Like, that's not how it works. So uh, I think you'll see a slow migration for a few of them. Do I ever think there will be a super tournament with BPT anglers and elite anglers? I don't think anytime soon not held by either one of those if it was it would have to be from a third party it would have to be somebody like tackle warehouse has an open and they invite them you know some like big player in the industry is like we want to have this event we're going to have this invitation kind of like the old paa type stuff so <clears throat> it sounds awesome but it would truly take somebody like a big retailer or a big boat somebody that wanted to put the money in it to invite it and put up the prize money to make it happen so i don't think we're close <laughs> sure yeah i mean i think that can be said about just about any bass anglers a lot of us when we're out competing and in the tournaments you know in 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 the in the heat of it we probably do things that we wouldn't do all the time um and i think you know, when you have bad tournaments and you come across – I mean, like, when you're a lot of people in the public eye, sometimes it's hard to to maintain your your perfect uh, representation. So I can see how people get that reputation. How do elite engineers get rid of them? Uh, so basically there's a rolling point system for every, like, two years that if you don't finish above a certain average finish in AOI, you drop out of the elite series. So – um, I know this year with all the COVID and all that stuff, Bass announced that everybody gets to come back. So everybody gets a pass this year. Um, otherwise, some guys just drop out. You know, They spend two, three years. Maybe they even make the points, but just they don't make enough checks. They don't get enough sponsor dollars, and it's just too hard on their bank account, and they need to drop out. So there's a natural attrition, and then there's the kind of points attrition that, that, that people drop out. And then people retire, uh, things like that. Um, you know, I don't know how many years David Fritz has left in the lead series. Uh, there's a couple other guys, a little bit older. Um, so it'll be interesting to see. I'm sure there'll be a few spots that open up either for financial reasons or just natural retirement. Uh, and then another year or so, you'll see some people drop out because of the OI standings. That's interesting. So Ballin says Tackle Warehouse went under twice before they went huge. Um, and now they're, I mean, they're just, they're crushing it. And I, and I know Tackle Warehouse is like, there's a tennis warehouse and like a bowling warehouse and like they have, they're in other sports and they have other models that are all part of the same, like big corporation. So, so I know there's a lot more to tackle warehouse than just that. So, but it's pretty amazing what they've done. But if you're looking for somebody else, check out Omnia fishing they got some good stuff and they uh great customer service they are definitely worth checking out at uh which is, uh there's links in my description as well and if you guys want a discount code you can use richlinger 15 at checkout to save 15 percent off your order at omnia fishing uh, so if you want to check out somebody new that's that's making waves in fishing they're adding all the kinds of new tech all the time they have great customer service they have a unique shop by lake experience some things they're doing different than a lot of traditional retailers are definitely worth your time to check out so uh and they sponsor several pros like patrick Walters and seth Spider. so they're putting money back into fishing they're doing things differently uh they help out with my fancy fishing prizes so I definitely uh, suggest you guys check out Omnia Fishing. So I know, I know a lot of people are complaining about certain people not shipping on time and Tackle Warehouse being one of them. Everything I've ordered from Omnia Fishing fishes ships same day or next day. So if you're looking for another alternative, definitely worth checking out. Mm-hmm. Plus, I'm guessing all you guys don't have 50% off codes to Tackle Warehouse. So... There you go. There's a free code would you want to use that on a reel or some lures or some line or a rod it works on everything except for mega bass. <clears throat> How do top fishing deals make money? I'm not sure I understand the question. Whether you're talking about top anglers or sponsorships or tournaments or companies need more Connor. I think the pails are what B2, I think they are. Um, I think what several of the BBT anglers maybe aren't super excited about is they didn't realize how much their style was suited to the five fish game and how they are not suited for the every fish counts game. And there's a lot of anglers like Hackney, Christie that did really well and dominated for many years, bringing your best five in that aren't doing so hot fishing for every fish. So I think they little have their comfort zone and they feel like their careers would be a lot better aligned uh, in the old format. So I don't think anybody's complaining about the format or the payouts, uh, things like that. But um, Do spoons like Zeldane or Watson use those big spoons? Uh, I think they can, but I think it's very situational. I know some of the wintering holes on the river, I've heard people catching them there. The thing is, we don't have a lot of big shad in Minnesota. So I think that's the key to those big spoons is where there's big populations of big shad. So that's where they work the best. Not saying they never work in Minnesota, but I think that's why they're very niche at best here. Up-and-coming angler to watch for. um, I think Kyle Welcher is really good. I think – He's somebody to keep an eye on. I think he's doing well. I think we talked about Taco Itu. I don't think he's going anywhere. Um, Caleb Kufal. He's having a great rookie season, cashing a lot of checks. He was very dominant on the BFLs, in the Mississippi River, when I used to fish them a lot. Um, I'd like to see Bob Downey do well. Uh, we'll time will tell to we'll see how it shakes out for him. I think Austin Felix. Uh, is going to have a really good career with the elites. I think other guys, uh, I think a guy that's a little bit under the radar that I'm surprised hasn't had a better season is he's from Alabama. His name escapes me. He won the points in the central last year. He's the rookie from Alabama. I can't think of his name, it escapes me. But he's like literally cash checking almost every bass tournament. He's fished with BAS. Um, can't remember his name, but uh, he's really good. Um, I feel like I have to pull him up. Be patient. I feel like i talked about some of my fantasy articles. Uh, for you, probably can't find that. Uh, Anglers, Elite Field, we're gonna get his. Let's see here. We mentioned West Logan. West Logan. He's a southern guy that I would definitely watch out for. Let me just scroll through there and see if anybody else jumps out at me. Those are the guys that jumped to mind for sure. So, that answers your question. Fish against Austin at Nationals, the one he won. I played six. Talking about the college Nationals? Are you talking about uh, Lake Kiwi? Yeah. Oh, what's up, Chris Mitchell? Nice to see you. Yes, Wes Logan is who I was thinking of. Pretty sure I had him as my dark horse for uh, follow <sighs> All right. Well, we are an hour and 41 minutes. So this is last call for questions. Because <clears throat> this Vizzy, Vermillion was powered by Vizzy at night, just in case you are wondering. Um, we're going to wrap it up. So appreciate you guys tuning in. Had 20-plus uh, viewers all night. Uh, I think we could ground answer a lot of questions the vermilion videos practice videos should come out friday the tourney videos will be out next week should be a lot of good good footage i think we, we capture a lot of good stuff so more good content so if you guys are just checking out the stream for the first time make sure you subscribe uh and hit that bell notification button so you don't miss any of the content uh, love to hear some comments once this goes the archives go up leave me a like hit the comments love to hear what you guys like about this channel and who you'd like to see as a future guest on my live streams. Maybe Chris Mitchell. What do you think, Chris? But until next time, here to help you catch more bass and suck less. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals.